0: Do you find that your temper is short and you have a hard time controlling your response when you get upset today, we are talking about keeping our cool when times get tough. Hi, everyone. It's Natalie. We all lose it sometimes. We get busy, we make mistakes, we yell, then we feel terrible about yelling. Do you relate? Well, unfortunately, this often happens around the people we love the most, our spouse, our parents, even our kids. None of us want this to happen. But when we're stressed it just happens. Today, we're talking about keeping our cool when it matters most. And my guest is Dr. Carla Nomburg. She's a clinical social worker and author of three parenting books with a fourth on the way. She works with parents day in and day out on techniques for keeping themselves together. She's a working mom, and she knows how to stop those triggers from becoming blowups. So let's get right into today's topic with Dr. Carla Nomburg. Carla joining me now. And Carla, we all know as parents, and even those who aren't parents, what it feels like to be triggered and to have a meltdown. But I want to get into today how to prevent
1: that from happening. It's like you you see the whole world around you. You see it happening, but you don't know what to do. Yeah. I just want to start out by saying, Natalie, that every single parent on the planet loses their temper with their kids, including me and I wrote the book, right. <laughs> and I lose my temper with my kids. I lose it less often now. And I recover more quickly, which is what we're going to talk about today. Um, so the first thing you asked was how do we lose it less? Was that what you asked? Yeah. I already lost my train. Of yeah. Life. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it happens so often and I know that it's
0: often me and not something my kid did, but it's actually something wrong in my life or I'm stressed or whatever, but yet how do you stop it from happening? If you walk out of the room take a deep breath. Like, how do you stop that moment?
1: You know, you're going to lose it. So in order to stop that moment, we need to take a step back and understand a little bit about why we lose our tempers with our kids. Okay, And I think a lot of parents have decided that it's just a matter of willpower. If we could just decide not to lose our tempers, then we would stay calm. Or maybe we're just, we've already labeled ourselves as a bad parent. And if we were just a better parent, just a patient parent, we wouldn't lose it. And it's actually neither of those. It goes back to our nervous system and what happens when our nervous system is overloaded by stress and big emotions and exhaustion and multitasking and all those things that every parent deals with all day long. And so- if we can take care of our nervous system and keep ourselves a little bit calmer or at least a little bit better cared for, I'd say, over the course of the day, the week, our lives, we will be less likely to get to that point that you're talking about where we're on the edge of the cliff and we're hanging on for dear life. And the way I think about it with parents that I think makes it a little easier to sort of conceptualize instead of talking about nervous systems is I talk about our buttons, that all of us are sort of covered with buttons and the more triggered we are the more exhausted we are the more we're anxious or worried or angry or stressed or dealing with too many things the bigger brighter more sensitive and more pushable our buttons become mm-hmm. and as anybody who's ever been in an elevator with a kid knows when they see a button right <laughs> everybody's kids are experts <laughs> over who gets out. to push it <laughs> right they push the button and it's not because your kid is a psychopath it's because That's what kids do. Don't worry about that. They are professional button pushers and their fingers are just the perfect size and shape for your buttons. (laughs) And so the more over the course of our daily life, and I know this is a big ask for busy parents, but it really makes a difference. The more we can get enough sleep, the more we can move our bodies every day, the more we can spend time with some friends and maybe even more time away from our kids. If we need it, right. If you are with your kids 24, 7, that's rough. Nobody was really designed to do that. No parent can parent well that way. The more we can make sure we have the right amount of caffeine, perhaps not too little, but not too much. All of these things, and I go into them in more detail in the book, really help calm our buttons down. So they're darker, they're less sensitive. Our kids have to push them maybe 15 times before we lose it instead of you know just pushing it once or even barely touching it once and we explode. So I really want parents to understand that all of these things that we traditionally think of as sort of generic self-care are actually highly relevant to not losing your temper with your children.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I talk a lot about on this podcast, and I know um, as a professional, I think you're going to agree with, is we're modeling So everything we do to our kids. So if we react a certain way, they're like, "Mm, be okay for me to react that way. So how can we model this and actually talk about it in the moment? Or do you recommend you walk away, cool off? Or do you talk about it? Do you say, you know what, that really triggered me or that's pushing my buttons. What What do you
1: recommend? First of all, I totally agree with you on the modeling. But I also want to be clear with parents that you don't have to be perfect at every moment, right? It's also okay to model for our kids that we are imperfect creatures, and we're always doing what we can. And sometimes the best we can is actually not great. And that's okay, right? So I totally agree with the modeling, but I don't want parents to feel like they have to hold themselves to a standard of perfection, Mm -hmm. which I think too many parents already do. Mm -hmm. Having said that, The way you handle the moment in any given moment, and by the moment, I mean the moment when you're about to freak out or you are freaking out, really depends, I would say, on how triggered you are. Because sometimes we get so upset, and again, this isn't a personal failing, this is the way the human brain is wired, that we can get so overwhelmed that we literally can't find the words. There's no words, there's no Mm -hmm. conscious thinking, there's no logic, there's no awareness, there's no modeling, there's none of it. There's just losing your temper. And so in that moment, the minute you realize that you've lost it, what I talk about in the book is is notice, pause, and do literally anything else. So Mm. the minute you notice you've lost your temper, and as any parent who's ever lost it with their kids knows, you can be neck deep in a parental meltdown and have no awareness that it's happening, right? You're just so caught up in the moment you don't even realize. So the minute you get that little shift in perspective, just pause for a minute, just put a pin in it close your mouth, whatever, just take a breath Mm. and then do anything else. And so what does that anything else look like? Well, if you have enough headspace that you can say, wow, guys, I totally just exploded on you. I'm sorry. I need a minute to calm down. That's great. Say that, right? But if you just have this explosion of energy and you have to get it out, you can do what I do sometimes and just cluck like a chicken in the middle of the kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. Because I will be at this place where I either am screaming or I feel like screaming and the energy is in there and my nervous system is tense and ramped up, sorry, ramped up. Mm -hmm. And I need to get this noise out. And so I'll just like cluck or sing or make some (laughs) garbage, right? (laughs) And it breaks up the moment. It sort of interrupts this tense moment with your family. It gets this tension out and it doesn't sort of, you know, contribute to the toxicity or the difficulty. Mm -hmm. And usually everybody laughs. And Mm -hmm. then sometimes the moment is passed, and there's nothing to talk about. I lost my temper over something ridiculous. We can move on. And sometimes there was a situation that we need to process a little bit and we do that. So you know, for some parents getting that tension out, dropping to the floor and doing push-ups is a thing you can do walking up and down the hallway of your house, you know, putting your hands flat on the counter and taking 10 deep breaths, reciting a prayer or a mantra or counting to 10 or, you know, whatever it is. Some people need to calm down. Some people need to get this energy out. Mm -hmm. You will get to know yourself, but really anything other than exploding is a great way to sort of break up that moment.
0: Yeah. Okay. I, I, your book has so many good, the last book that I read of yours, so many good tips. But if we take a step back before the explosion, sure. you talk about, you You mentioned, make sure you're getting enough sleep, make sure you have enough self-compassion. Let's go through a few of those things. And again, yeah. like you said a moment ago, we are not perfect. I, even as hard as I try, I don't get a good night's sleep, but I'm trying. I know you talk about single tasking instead of multitasking. I am yep so guilty of that we have a joke in my house i always burn the taco shells because they only take 3 minutes and i leave to do something else while the taco shells are there like so that's like our version of single task yeah. mom single task what are some of those other things that will help us not lose it because yeah. we're
1: remembering these things So in the book, I call these button reduction practices or burps. That's my silly little acronym. So obviously a big one is sleep. And the way the human brain works, you are far more likely to be sort of out of control and lose your temper if you haven't slept well. And if you are in a situation like so many Americans, so many people around the world that you're not sleeping well, that's just something to sort of have a whole lot of compassion for yourself about. Don't blame yourself. Don't shame yourself. And lower your standards. Seriously, if you are walking around like a zombie, you got to lower your standards because it's like trying to drive around on a flat tire, right? You may still get to where you're going. Right. But the road is going to be bumpier and way less comfortable and you got to slow down or you're going to make things worse. Okay, so another big one is having enough support. And really, humans were not designed to raise children on our own. The human baby just requires so much attention and support and human children as well. And I think increasingly, mothers, especially, I will say, I think there's a gender divide here, really feel like we should be able to do everything on our own. Mm And what I see time and again is when families are in crisis, they tend to sort of like shut down and disappear and stay home and kind of circle the wagons and hide in our homes until everything passes. And what I really want to say to parents is all the time, but especially in those times, what you actually need is more support. Um, what you need to do is reach out to the people who care about you, to know you, to your friends, to your community. And I actually go in, into this in great detail in the book, the different kinds of support and how to nurture and grow it and how to be a supportive friend and parent to the other parents in your community. So support is a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Um, parents, and just on a really like concrete level, having another parent in your home makes it far less likely that you're going to explode at your kids. And so when my daughters were little, it was a really hard time for me. I was dealing with very serious postpartum anxiety. And I would schedule play dates with as many families as I could, because I found that just having another adult in the space with me, because my husband was at work or wherever, calmed me down, helped me feel less worried, less anxious. And I was much more patient with my kids. I also didn't want to embarrass myself by exploding at my kid in front of my friend. So having support around is just crucial. Another one is simplifying your life. And a lot of people, when I say simplify, they think I mean declutter. And that may be part of it, but what I really mean is reduce the number of decisions and choices you have to make in any given day. Because we think we want more options, but the truth is every time we have to make a decision, it kind of wears us down a little bit. And if you're fighting with your kid about which sippy cup they want and which colored plate they want and whether they want their carrots cut this way or that way, It's just going to increase the stress, push your buttons. And so if you can just get one kind of plate, your kid will not suffer if they have to use the same kind of plate every day, right? One kind of sippy cup, they get, you know, one option for this, whatever it is. And for you, if you have some clothes you like, wear the same type of clothing every day, who cares, right? But the more you can reduce the number of decisions you make in a day, the less triggered and upset you'll be. Um, And then I think we should talk about single tasking because look, Natalie, of course you multitask. We were raised in a culture that glorifies it. How many people have seen job descriptions that say ability to multitask required, right? Mm, right. We were literally told that multitasking is something that we should work hard to be able to do. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that the human brain can't multitask. We do something called task switching, where our brain switches back and forth between the various things we're trying to do and our body never quite catches up. There's a little bit of a lag. And so the more things we're trying to do at once, the more our stress is increased. And I define stress as the thought, belief, or perception that you can't handle whatever's going on. And so the more we're multitasking, the more we're stressed. Now, maybe you can handle what's going on. You just can't handle all the things at once. And so the example I always give is, you know, it's dinner time when my kids were younger and I'd have one little girl at the dining room table trying to figure out her math. And by fourth grade, the new math had already lost me. And so I didn't know that was stressing me out. And then I'd have another kid in the bathroom yelling me for me to wipe her tushy. And then I'd be like stirring the noodles because we were always eating noodles back then. And then, you know, maybe my phone is dinging with some new news alert that's stressing me out. And then all of a sudden my brain is thinking about this creepy ex-boyfriend and whatever happened to that guy. And look, I can handle any one of these things at a time. I can wipe a tushy. I can sit down and figure out the math. I can stir the noodles. I can turn off the phone, but I can't handle all of them at once. And then I get one more question from a kid because my button is so you know hot and stimulated and red, and I'm just ready to lose it. I get one more question. And even though she's not trying to push my button, she does and I explode, right? Yeah. So multi. the more we can choose at certain times to do one thing at a time. For example, if we're cooking the taco shells, Natalie. Just stand there with the taco shells. Set <laughs> yourself a little time or take so a few deep breaths, whatever it is. <laughs> but also if you're doing something where it's gonna be bad if you screw it up, right? If you're driving and texting, you could have some very bad outcomes if there's a mistake there. If you're sending an important email to a colleague or a supervisor at work and it's gonna be really bad if you attach the wrong document, something like that, that's a great time to single task. Yeah. If there's big emotions going on, emotions take up a lot of brain space. There's not a lot left for other things. So if there's big emotions, you're gonna want a single task. And really, honestly, almost any time you need to pay attention to your kids, kids have this way of just soaking up all the brain space. And so what I will say to my kids now is I'm stirring the pasta. You need to wait. Now, sometimes I have to say that 27 times, but kids can learn to wait. That's okay. Or some of my favorite advice by the author Catherine Newman is either pay attention to your kids or ignore them. And I'm not talking about like hostile, you know, uh, I'm not paying attention to you. I'm ignoring you. I'm ignoring you. I'm just saying either decide that you have some time to sit down and help your kids with their homework or play a game with them or throw the ball or whatever it is, or you kind of let them fend for themselves. And especially if they're immersed in the project they're doing, a game, homework, reading a book, whatever it is, don't get involved. Do not go over there. And I see so many parents who, want to step in. And it's like, "Mm, dude, if your kid is happy making that sandcastle, you don't need to improve on it. So, and this can start, look, it takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of practice, but this can start even when they're babies. I used to put my daughter on the play mat on the living room floor and I would sit over on the side and this wasn't all the time, but for a few minutes at a time. And I'd read my book or check my email or do whatever and just let her play. Mm -hmm. And then when she was fussy, I would go to her, right? Mm -hmm. But I think for so many of us, we're trying to pay attention to our children while we do other things. And Mm -hmm. that is just, that's like, you're on the fast track to a meltdown with that. So those are some of those uh, qualities that will help calm your buttons down. So they're not quite as pushable. Yeah. Did you know that kids
0: have two buckets that need to be filled on a daily basis? What are those buckets? Well, there's the attention bucket and then the power bucket if these buckets aren't filled in positive ways, your child will do whatever has to be done to get those buckets filled. And you know what that means. Often it's whining, tantrums, fighting, because in their eyes, negative attention is better than no attention at all. So if you find yourself constantly yelling, nagging, maybe reminding That's the one I face all the time. I have something for you and it's already helped thousands of parents. You can head to my website, natalietisdall.com slash favorites to get in on a free training from Positive Parenting Solutions. There, you're going to learn how to fill your child's buckets positively. Again, it's com slash favorites to get in on that free online class. I'm so guilty of that as I think we all, like you said, we're conditioned multitask and we try to do that with our kids. I mean, how many times I'm cooking dinner and trying to think and look at the recipe while I'm trying to help with homework and I'm already not good at math. So (laughs) this doesn't work very well. Let's talk about the, the recovery though, because we're not going to be perfect with this. We're going to try harder. We're going to take care of ourselves and be better. But if you do have this blow up or you say something you don't want to or let's talk about the recovery how you go back how you talk about that how you explain it to your kids
1: so in the mental health parenting professions we have a little phrase we like to say which is rupture repair repeat and this is the sort of normal cycle of human relationships and parent-child relationships and when i say normal i mean it's common it happens all the time everybody does it in small and big ways There's a rupture between you and your child, and it might be a little one, like you snap at them to put their shoes on because they never put their shoes on, even though they leave the house every single day and need to put their shoes on every single day. And then they snap back and then they put their shoes on and it's over. You don't need to go repair that. It's just a normal thing. Don't worry about it. So we got a lot of ruptures. Obviously, we have a lot of repeats. Where most of us are missing is the repair, right? This middle step of rupture, repair, repeat. So let's talk about that. So again, as I said, not every rupture requires a repair. You can trust that your relationship will handle that moment when you snap about the shoes and the kid snaps back, you put on your shoes, it's done. The bigger moments where you've really lost it with your child, and this may happen with younger kids or older kids, and maybe they got tearful, maybe they got really upset. You can tell you scared them. And again, this happens to all of us. Mm -hmm that's when you need the repair. So the first step in the repair is you must calm yourself down and just be honest with yourself about whether or not you're calm, because if you're still triggered, if you're still upset and you go to repair with your child and they don't immediately, you know, crawl into your arms and say, I love you. You're the best parent. It's okay. It wasn't a big deal. If they don't immediately respond exactly how you want them to, or imagine they might, and you're still triggered, you're just going to, lose it again. You are, you're just going to snap at them or whatever it is. And then you're perpetuating this thing you don't want to do. So get calm, right? Just calm yourself down. And then with younger kids, it doesn't take much. You just sort of present yourself to them, go be present with them and they're fine. Like kids are programmed to reconnect with their parents, you know, on a really basic level, we keep them alive. So it's a survival instinct for them. They want to be connected to us. So for the little ones, just go back and play with them, snuggle them, read them a book, whatever it is. And you can say as they get to the right age, whenever you feel that is, I'm sorry, I got mad. We all get mad sometimes. And I got mad and I'm sorry, but actually I'm going to hold on, Natalie. I just caught myself saying something that I, that I want to make this important distinction. And it's such a common thing we do that I even did it, which is you will want to apologize to your children you never have to apologize for your feelings. Mm. And if people were listening, what I just said was, I'm sorry, I got mad. You don't have to apologize for being mad. There's nothing wrong with that. What you can do is apologize for your behavior. Okay, very important. You can identify yeah. your feelings and apologize for your behavior. So I'm sorry I yelled. At- I got mad. I'm sorry I acted this way. Yeah, I'm sorry I yelled at you. I was feeling angry, right? Mm -hmm. And because the truth is, Natalie, no feeling is ever wrong. Some of them are deeply unpleasant. Some Mm -hmm. of them feel downright horrible, but no feeling is ever wrong. And that's really important to remember. So when you apologize to your child, and it's totally okay to apologize to your child. It's not going to undermine your authority. I don't know. Some parents really feel hesitant to do this. And there's not only is there nothing wrong with it but it's a great way to repair your relationship with your child and also to model the kind of behavior that you want them to show. Right. Mm-hmm. We are talking about modeling. This is yeah. a great opportunity. Right. So apologize very specifically for the thing you did. I'm sorry. I stalked out of the room so angrily and that scared you or whatever it may be. I'm sorry. I threw the remote control around the room, <laughs> like whatever you did. And then you can identify the feelings because children aren't necessarily going to understand that part. I was feeling angry, I was feeling out of control. I was feeling really anxious, and that's actually how that came out. Whatever it is. And then talk about what your plan is for going forward. And this is when you can be really honest. Please don't say I promise never to do that again because you cannot make that promise. We all know none of us can make that promise and it's not going it's not going to hold any weight with your children. But what you can say is, what is the plan for the next few hours? And maybe the plan is, you know, I realize I need to put my phone in the other room so it's not distracting me and giving me bad news. Or maybe the plan is, you know, I realize that this math homework is really hard for you and I'm not the best person to help you with this right now. So let's wait until we can call your tutor or my co-parent gets home or whatever it is and they'll help you. And maybe it's, you know what, I just realized I'm so tired today and I'm so overwhelmed. I don't think I can do anything. So why don't we sit down and watch TV until it's bedtime? Yeah, really. And if that's all you have in you be honest about it. Right. And there have definitely been days when I'm like, you know what? Daniel tiger is far preferable to me screaming at my kids for the next hour. And, I'm tapped out. I got nothing. There is no way I can show up for these children. And so they end up eating their mac and cheese at the coffee table in front of the TV. And those are the nights when I felt like a total failure. And now my daughter's five years later, like, mom, remember those nights when you let us eat dinner in front of the TV? Those were the best, right? (laughs) And I was like, oh, dang, we should have done that every night. (laughs) So again, get yourself calm apologize for what you did. You don't have to apologize for your feelings. Make a plan. And if you need to talk to your child about their button pushing, Mm -hmm. you can do that. You know, you can apologize for your behavior, even as you say, hey, but I told you not to throw that in the house. And so what do you think the consequence should be? I often ask my children this. They're now 11 and 13. So you can do this with older kids. What do you think is a reasonable consequence? Because we talked about this. You threw that thing in the house. You broke this other thing. Mm -hmm. And then talk it through. You never know what they're going to come up with. And sometimes what they come up with is actually way harsher than what we would yeah. have come up with. Yeah. And then you need to like back them down a little bit. Yeah. So that's yeah. the repair piece. Yeah. I love the
0: the notion of I can only do so much right now and to just give yourself grace and say, I'm not perfect. I'm going to do the best I can. And how important that is for us to do as parents, because we do set this standard of the perfect parent or what other parents are doing instead of just what can I handle right now to just to get through.
1: And we all have to do that. All of us. Absolutely. Yeah. And another point is that it's, it's really okay. If you know that there are situations with your child that are very likely to trigger you Talk about that ahead of time. So I have one kid that has this one piece of homework she has to do every week and she gets very anxious and frustrated by it. And when she gets anxious and frustrated, she gets kind of mean and aggressive. And I know she doesn't mean it, right? But even though I know exactly what's going on, I know it's not personal, it's not about me, she's anxious, it triggers me like crazy. And then I snap at her and she snaps at me. And finally, I just said, hey, kiddo, this is not a good match, I am not the person to help you with this homework. So you can either wait till dad's available or you can stay late for tutoring at school, but I'm not gonna help you with this homework. And she gets upset with that. She doesn't like this boundary that I've set because she's anxious about the homework and she wants to get it done. But after like a year, I'm pretty confident that we have enough data to say that I am not the person to help her with this. And as much as I'd like to be that like all purpose, totally available mom to her, It's not going to work. So, if there are situations that you know trigger you, you can either just not do them. Or if you don't have that option, you can say to your kid once they're old enough, Hey, we know I tend to get pretty cranky when we do this. So, let's come up with a plan. How are we going to solve this problem for when I get cranky? And sometimes the kid actually will have a pretty good idea, but even just predicting that you're going to get cranky, Hey, and then when it happens, you can say, Look, I told you so. I'm getting cranky. Right. (laughs) And it just kind of, Takes the edge off it yeah. and makes the child less likely to blame themselves because children are super self-absorbed. They think the world revolves around them. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not because there's anything wrong with them. It's just how kids work. Yeah. And yeah. so when we lose our tempers with our kids, they assume it's because they've done something wrong. And in all honesty, sometimes they have right? Sometimes kids do yeah. really obnoxious stuff, but the problem is we're the ones with the fully functioning brains. We should ideally be able to stay calm even when our kids are pushing our buttons. Yeah. And so when we can give our kids that story and make it predictable that we're going to lose it, Hey, I will help you with this homework, but about 10 minutes in, I'm probably going to snap at you. That makes it less painful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What I, what I keep hearing kind of a theme through all of this is good communication, having it, Yourself, with your spouse, with your kids, like being able to talk about these things. And that's not easy for a lot of parents. It's not, they didn't, that for many of them, they probably didn't grow up that way. So now they're trying to reteach this to themselves of understanding and having that communication.
1: Absolutely. And for some parents, there is so much shame around this that it's really hard to acknowledge to yourself that you lose it because it's so painful. Mm -hmm. And so one of the reasons I talk about this so much and acknowledge. I mean, honestly, you guys, if my 13-year-old was standing here beside me listening to me talk about my book and losing it, she would be laughing and rolling her eyes so hard they'd fall right out of her head because I still lose it with her, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we all do it, every single one of us. And once we can start to sort of open up and acknowledge that with ourselves, it's very freeing. It lessens the shame. And then we can really start to work with it a little bit more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Ah, learn so much. The time goes so fast. So I know you have three other books. I know you're working on another book. And now you have a website. So tell people where they can get more of you.
1: Absolutely. The best place is my website, CarlaNomberg.com. And my next book, which is slated for publication in the fall of 2022, is all about self-compassion for parents, which is again another one of these practices that will change your life, change your parenting. I don't mean to sound cheesy, but that has been absolutely true for me, makes it far less likely that you'll explode at your kids. So that book is coming out again, fall of 2022. And if you go to my website, you can find all the ways to follow me and learn about the book. And that's Nomberg.com. All
0: right, Carla. thanks so much. We appreciate it. All the best to, to you and your two girls and your husband. And I hope to talk to you again soon. I want to hear about this new book. So we'll, we'll touch on that when it comes out in the fall.
1: Thank you, Natalie. And thanks for everything you're doing to provide amazing information and support to parents. Thanks. Take care.
0: Thank you for joining the Natalie Tisdall podcast. You can follow along on Instagram and at natalietisdall.com. Subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave a review so I can continue to bring you fresh content. See you next week.